Um, so, uh, as you maybe followed along closely with that passage, uh, you might know that this is not necessarily a text I'd choose to preach on if we were just uh, just choosing topics. Uh, pretty strong words throughout from chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 12, and we're going to pick them apart and, and talk through them together. Um, there is a bit of context to understand as we look at this passage and, and, and under, you know, comprehend it. Remember this, that James is writing a letter uh, to a group of people. And this group of people has newly found a faith in Christ that is in the past decade they've come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they've since been scattered out of Jerusalem into the regions around and are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Um, now, that's you know, a, a challenging thing to be, uh, be in, and obviously uh, they've been holding true to their faith, which is the result is their persecution at this time, um, but James is confronting some, I guess, lingering sin that is in their lives uh, throughout the book of James and throughout his letter, as we've already seen at the beginning of it, and here is no different. He's confronting very strongly uh, some divisions, and quarreling is the word he uses that he's addressing. Uh, now, quarreling, in my mind, uh, kind of sounds like an argument, a disagreement, uh, but the word is actually war. Uh, it, it, in most, you know, translations of it in other places, it means to battle or to war with. Uh, and so when he uses in the next verse uh, that this is because your passions war within you, he's actually picking up on that stronger language that there is some significant division in this community. Uh, and there's debate about how, you know, how strong that division actually is, but, uh, but there is certainly a concern that James is addressing very strongly. And so he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. There are battles and fights and quarrels going on among this very tight-knit community that's been scattered because of their faith. And James is saying, this should not be. If you believe in Christ Jesus, you should be in unity together, not at odds and not at division with each other. Uh, some of the things that we've seen is that there's been, you know, a difference in socioeconomic status between Christians in this time, and James has confronted that. Uh, there may be all sorts of different differences that are coming up, and James is addressing them head on. But ultimately, he's saying that these fights and quarrels and wars and battles that are among you result from your own passions, the internal things that are going on inside of you, the wars that are happening inside of you. They're caused by passions warring in you. The fact is that we all struggle with contentment. We all struggle with being content with what God has graciously given us. We look at what we have and we start to compare it to what other people have. No matter how good it is what we have, we have this innate ability to look at what we have and say, they must have it better all the time. And so we have this discontent that leads to sin. And we talked about this in James 1, 14 to 15, where it says, But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. 
So how do wars and battles and fights come up among a church that is unified under Christ as their Savior? Internal sin among the members. Turns out we're still not perfect. So James is confronting this and saying, the reason you're having these battles, these confusions, these uh, you know, discontentment issues is because of the war waging inside of you with your passions. Our discontent leads to sin. First, it shows up in our thoughts, right? We start comparing in our minds and just kind of stewing on that, thinking about that, comparing us to other people or what we have to what we could have, uh, us to our future self, right? I mean, uh, we start playing these games in our thoughts, and it, it takes our focus on what we've received graciously from God and puts it on something we don't have and God isn't ready for us to have yet. So in our thoughts, this discontent begins, even if we don't act on those thoughts, though, there's, a, there's really like a, a, a sub-step b- between where a thought goes to action, right? James here confronts us as the reason that you're having uh, disagreements, external manifestations of your discontent. The reason there's fights and quarrels among you is because of this internal passion. But there's a sub-step, sub-step to that, which is a disposition that we have toward one another. If, we, if you start fostering a discontentment because of what someone else has or start fostering a desire for something that you ought not have, that disposition begins to show up in your heart. Whether you are acting on it or not, when you interact, you are having that disposition toward other people, right? Um, and so you're not going to be treating them with the full love of God that you ought to treat them with because this thought pattern that you're allowing to live in your life and then if you hold that long enough it will manifest in action unfortunately we see this all the time happen and it it, it doesn't matter if you're uh, the strongest christian leader in perception or just some person that isn't known by anybody right we all start with the same battle of thought life and discontentment in our world. And so regardless if you've made it as a leader or, or whether you're, you're just a you know, church member coming to try and follow Jesus, we all struggle with this thing, discontent. Shows up first in our thoughts, then in our disposition toward the body of Christ, and then, as it was in James' time, in actions toward one another in the body. And James says, this cannot be. You cannot be having battles with each other. Christ has saved you to be one. James is saying to us that um, our faith is personal, okay? It's, it's not just theory. It changes our life and should change our life. And when we don't allow it to, we get these manifestations, these battles, these quarrels, these fights within us. And so we have to guard ourselves against it. And really, the key component of it all is contentment. Being happy Being joyful, in fact, with what God has given you. He's given it to you with great purpose and at great cost. And so enjoy it to the fullest. In verses 4 to 6, we see um, really God's heart for us. And, And simply stated, it's this. God desires your heart. He wants your heart, the fullness of it. Listen to the words in verses 4 to 6. Again, uh, starts out kind of rough. 
you adulterous people. <laughs> Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? That one verse, like, threw my head into a spin as I was looking at that this week. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he put in you. He gave you the spirit, right? He gave you his spirit. He breathed life into you. And he's the one that now yearns jealously for that life. Um, you've heard it said probably at some point in your life, or maybe even you like this adage, and I, you know, I like it too with some context that we'll, we'll break down here. But uh, you know the phrase, live life to the fullest, Right? Anyone want to live life to the fullest? Yeah, that's a, that's a good thing, right? To make, you know, get the full effect of life. We're doing that by having four kids, and it's full. <laughs> um, live life to the fullest, and the key is, in living life to the fullest, how you define life. How, how do you define life when you say that? Because in the world, you can say that statement, live life to the fullest. And that can mean a whole lot of things. James is saying, if you're living life to the fullest, looks only like the things you can gather up in this world, then you're missing it. You're missing what I have for you that's better than anything you could find in this world. If your life that you're trying to live to the fullest is um, a desire, born out of a desire for things of this world, whether that be any myriad of things, and the obvious ones, right, are money and power and possessions and these things that we could rail against and say, oh, no, I don't have any of that. Or they could be experiences that you're longing for to have over and against what God has for you. Or they could be our children, um, as hard as that is to say. I love my kids to death, but if I put my kids above Jesus, I've misplaced something. Because actually, God cares about my kids more than I care about my kids. And so if I put them above him, then I'm missing the mark. Because I don't have the right amount of love for my kids. I, you know, I don't. I don't have it. I'm a fallen person. Don't have enough to give and don't have the right kind. I give all I can and hopefully it's changed by, you know, the Lord is changing me and helping me grow in that area. But his love is a love that is perfect for my kids. Live life to the fullest. If our desire of life is anything of this world, In, it, it puts us in opposition to our creator who made us for more than these temporary things. He yearns to have your heart. He wants you to know him in his fullness. 
uh, we shared it on Thursday, right? Uh, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence, God, is the very fullness of joy. And so, you know, I struggle with this because this verse says, in Scripture it says, uh, God yearns jealously for the spirit that he puts in you. And the challenge with that is that there is nowhere in Scripture that you can find <laughs> that exact phrase. Uh, so I wanted to point that out because actually that quote is not a quote from Scripture, Okay. You usually see a cross-reference in there if you're looking at your Bible. You're like, oh, that, there it is. It's in uh, Psalm 32, whatever, whatever. But I'll tell you, it actually is. It, it's not a specific reference, but this is the testimony of Scripture. Just think about it. Does God not chase after the heart of Israel every single day of every single week of every single month of every single year in their existence in the old testament can you point to a time when he is not chasing after their heart with all that he is you can't he's given him whole his whole self to this his yearning for the heart of his people is expressed very clearly in scripture yeah this quote exactly isn't there but James has taken a little bit of liberty to say, my God yearns jealously after the spirit of his people. God wants your heart. And so he gives us a little bit of a response to this. Um, you know, he's confronting them pretty hard about some things. and We don't know the full details of the things that are going on, but let's just say it is very extreme. Yeah, there's real division, potentially violent division between the body of Christ that James is writing to. So when he's saying, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, so you do not obtain, so you fight and quarrel, like quarrel and murder potentially are literal rather than figurative. Strong words. So what does he say to us in response? But, in spite of the fact that you may make yourself an enemy of God, there's hope. He gives more grace, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I didn't actually check that one. I'm not sure if that one's in or not. Um, anyone know? Yeah, I think it might be A. What is that, A? Proverbs 3.34. Good. Okay. That one's in. But there's some more development on that as well. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How does that support God yearning after the spirit of his people? Well, I remind you to think on two kings. Think on King Saul. King Saul sinned against the Lord over and over, and yet his heart was unrepentant. And as a result of him never coming to repentance before the Lord, the Lord opposed him, turned against him, sought another, that is David. Now, was David any better morally than Saul? No. Maybe worse? 
Well, kind of debatable. I mean, he, you know, Uriah, the whole thing. Okay, you guys know. Um, was he any more, is he, when he, is he any less, less immoral? No. The difference is that David was after the heart of God. He knew that he was wrong. When Nathan came and confronted him about his sin, he knew it was him. And he went before the Lord and went in weeping and mourning before the Lord, repenting for what he had done, realizing how wrong he was seeking the heart of the Lord. God opposes the proud, King Saul. God gives grace to the humble, King David. James brings it nicely uh, to application for us in verses 7 to 12. When he says it very plainly, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James says, if you're looking for the full life, find fulfillment in your God. Your God yearns jealously for you. This is the creator of the universe, desires relationship with you. So find your fulfillment in God Almighty, who wants to spend time with you. Submit yourself to God and his desires. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Up in verse 3, when it says, um, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is what he's reminding them of. You're asking God to just give you things of this world, things you don't need. Submit to God and, and ask God what you need. And then start to ask him and see what happens. God isn't like withholding joyous and good things from you. He just wants your heart. He doesn't want you to come to him like, you know, some cosmic candy machine and just punch in the number and say, I want a Dr. Pepper today. Right? That's not, that's not how this works. He wants you to know that he knows you want a Dr. Pepper. And you know what? It shows up in the right timing. Every time my mother-in-law comes to visit, actually, is when it shows up for me. <coughs> Always gets a couple 12-packs for us to stock up on. Um, find fulfillment in God. And the things you're asking, they'll be coming. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Lies are what stir up our discontentment. And the reason, James says, resist the devil is because it's lies about discontentment that starts this whole thing. He's looking at this community and seeing conflict, like real strong conflict in this community. He's saying, you know what the origin of that is? Is that you're not willing to resist the lies of the evil one. You're willing to say, yeah, I should have that. They have it and I don't. We're both Christians. They should be giving me more of their stuff. And it's like, it's not about stuff. 
Quit worrying about that. Quit worrying about what others have and rather worry yourself about what God has for you. Stand on the truth that God has provided everything you need and resist the lies of the devil that would breed discontent in your life because of your station. Find fulfillment in God and resist the devil. Second, he challenges us, especially to this community who, where the result of discontentment has resulted in uh, sinful actions against one another. He calls them to repentance. If you found yourself in a place where your discontent has turned to action or brokenness or broken thoughts or broken words toward other people, then follow the words of James. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right? If your mind is both for things of the world and for God, that makes you two-minded. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money, right? This isn't a thing. That's double-minded. So if you find yourself in that place where you are serving two things, repent, he says. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. And verse 9 is a tough one to hear. It says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy turn to gloom. And we look at that and we're like, geez, come on, James. Like, you're against laughter and joy? Aren't those good things? They aren't good things if your laughter and your joy, and here I want to say it's not biblical joy like we usually talk about where it's like, I'm finding my joy in the Lord. This is like, you know, joy born out of what we're talking about. Joy born out of things of this world. So it's more like happiness than joy, okay? Um, so is he against laughter? Is he against being happy with things? No. But if that's where you've been finding your source of life, then he's saying forsake that. Forsake laughter that comes from things that will turn to dust. Forsake happiness that comes from things that do not matter in the end. And turn to mourn and turn to gloom. Realize where you've been finding your value and your hope and go before the Lord with that and say, God, I'm sorry that I've found my hope and identity in a car or in a house or in a, like, whatever it is, a job level or, you know, like... Whatever it is, right? It could be any number of things. He says, turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom if you've found yourself in that place where you've found your hope in things of this world. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. God wants your heart, and so often we get caught up in kind of adventures that this world can give us, whether they be experiences or possessions or, you know, whatever it is, and we have things that we want to conquer and, and do in life, and that becomes our idol, okay? But God is telling us, I have just as much adventure and joy and pleasure and excitement for you. I do. It's just in things that happen to be eternal. And yeah, I might help you with some temporary things that'll get you along the way. But if your hope is in these temporary things, then you're missing the real calling that I have on your life, which is for things that last. P 
people coming to know the love of the Father for them. Uh, People around you knowing and seeing the contentment you have in Christ Jesus. The hope you have in Christ Jesus. In a world that's, you know, shattered with, uh, you know, question marks and and questionable, um, uh, you know, questions about what's happening around us all the time, uncertainties, we have a hope that's beyond it. told you guys this a number of times but you know the first month after covid hit it was like people were freaking out you know we didn't know how bad it was going to be and i'm looking at the thing going all right like if this is the plague and it's come after me i'm good i i know where i'm going after i die i'm in heaven so yeah like have you figured that out yet so you know like those are conversations you can have when things get uncertain, because you know where your hope stands. It's eternal. Draw near to God. He's got plenty to fill your life with that is good and challenging. Finally, James tells us to stop speaking evil about our brothers. See, the result of discontentment can even lead us to speak ill of one another. It's hard to hear, but it's true. If you've been in ministry at any point in time, this is a struggle, okay, uh, to assess your success in ministry and see other people with their level of success in ministry and begin to quickly compare. Pastors are at just as fault of this as anybody. I've struggled with this personally, looking around and saying, Lord, you know, why aren't we bigger? He's wrecked me of that. I don't care anymore, <laughs> thankfully. I have a lot of victory there. Um, but the comparing happens all the time. We look at one another and say, oh, I wish if I were doing that, then whew, what kind of influence would I have? That'd be so powerful. God has for you what he has for you, and that's all you need to know. Don't speak evil against one another because you're discontent. At that point, you become the lawgiver and judge, and that's not a place you want to take. He says it right there. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. Are you the one who's able to save? Are you the one that's able to destroy? No, so don't put yourself there. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Discontent comes when we start comparing one to another, getting our eyes off of what God has graciously and powerfully and wonderfully provided for us to walk in. Yeah, is it hard what he's provided us to walk in? Probably. I mean, think about the people he's writing to. They've been scattered from Jerusalem because of their faith in Christ Jesus. They're on the run, and they're still sinful people fighting with one another. It's hard. No one's saying this isn't hard. This is hard.
But don't let it take you to a place where you're looking at your brother or sister in Christ and saying, yeah, they probably got it in a shady way. No. Pray for them. Seriously, like if you, if you look at someone that has something greater than you, pray for them. You look at Dan Cathy, right? Owner of Chick-fil-A. Think about that. As a Christian, you look at it, well, he's a Christian. He's got a big kingdom. Why can't I have a big kingdom like that? You know what? That's probably a tough kingdom to steward. So maybe if you start finding your place and wanting and jealous after something like that, you should just pray for Dan Cathy. Lord, I hope he makes the right decision with all that influence and power and money. It's not an easy thing. Let's go with these few things. If you're looking for a full life, submit to God. He has a full life for you. It may not look like the world's portrayal of success and fun, but it's an adventure that's tailor-made for you. He is after your heart. He yearns for it. He yearns for the very spirit he put in you. He wants to see it come alive with the same love of Jesus that he poured out on you. So stop looking for a full life as the world defines it and start looking for a full life as God defines it for you. What is he calling you to walk in? What challenge is he calling you to tackle? Most of them are pretty simple and maybe seemingly boring, but like your spouse is probably first if you're married. Your kids are second. And that's about as far as I can go. I mean, like, right? That's enough adventure, really. If you're looking for a full life, submit to God and live the adventure that's, that he's tailor-made for you. Second, if you found yourself where you've screwed up, and you will, and you probably have, don't take a position of pride. Humble yourself before the Lord and own what you've done. Say, God, I, I turns out I still need you a lot. And finally, stop comparing yourself to others. Discontent brings sin and division. And yeah, you may be able to hold it in your thought life for a long time and keep it, you know, to yourself but soon it comes out in how you interact with others and then it comes out in your actions. God yearns for the spirit that he's put in you. He yearns for it so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. From beginning to end, he gave himself for you. So find your hope and your strength in him. He is an eternal hope beyond anything that you could find comfort in in this world. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for passages that are challenging with very strong language. We're thankful that in the end, this is you expressing the depth of your love for us. You desire so much that we would know how much you love us. 
where you chase after your people and you wait for the exactly right time to step in and show them what it's all about. So God, I pray for us as a church, if we're discontent as people or as a body, I pray that we'd be humble before you, that you would be the one to exalt us. We wouldn't strive to create our own position or authority, but they would rest in your authority and allow you to guide and direct in every moment. God, help us be content with what you've given us. That unity may reign within our community and our church and among one another. And if unity can reign among the church here in Pinellas County and the church here at Restoration, then the world will see what a beautiful thing it is you've done. But if we're just another group that creates division, then we're like the world. So help us, God, be content with what you've given us to do to say, to live, because it is good, and it brings fullness of joy. Pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.